and we're back for another week of talking about what's going on across Dixie. Hello, I'm John Rawl, and this is the Y'all Show. Sit back, get you a nice big cup of sweet tea. Maybe if you've been a good boy or girl, you can get you some homemade peach ice cream. Maybe go over there and cut up some good homegrown tomatoes and enjoy our conversation about the rest of the Southeast, even right there where you're located on this glorious day. For the next three hours, as we have already indicated, we're going to be talking about the South. We got a look at headlines. I'm going to tell you a sample of some of those headlines in just a second. Also, some sports news. We lost the great coaching legend Bobby Bowden over the weekend. The longtime Florida State head football coach passed away on August 8th at the age of 91 years old. And we'll have some thoughts about the passing of Coach Bowden here in today's Y'all Show. And speaking of college football, we're on a 44-city tour across the southeast. And boy, we got some great schools coming this week. And we're going to start it off today on our 44-city tour stop. Today's stop is in Knox County, Tennessee. We're on Rocky Top. We're going to hear from the head coach, the new head coach of the Vols, Josh Heupel, talk about his program. And we're also going to walk through Tennessee's 2021 schedule. And if you love that big orange, you're going to love today's Y'all Show. It's all Tennessee and all Vols here on this Monday, getting your week going of the Y'all Show. And as we continue not only talking in the first hour about Tennessee's 2021 schedule, what we expect out of Coach Heupel going forward, when we get to hour three today, it's going to be more about the traditions of Rocky Top Nation. We're going to discuss some of the famous alumni of the University of Tennessee. We're going to tell you about the university itself and its role in the state of Tennessee being the flagship university. And also, we're going to, again, go through some of the great traditions. Tennessee has fantastic traditions from running through the power tee on game day. The Vol Navy is a big tradition for Tennessee fans. That color that stands out, and if you're a Tennessee fan, you love that big orange. And if you hate Tennessee, you can't stand that color orange. You think it deserves to be on maybe people out hunting in the woods or picking up trash on the highway, perhaps. That's how you feel about that color orange. But Tennessee loves it. Today, it's all Tennessee, and we're going to discuss UT in a big way. And I'll go ahead and let you know that if you're in Tennessee and you're not a big fan of the Vols, you might like the Vanderbilt Commodores. Well, Vandy is going to be our spotlight school on Wednesday. Tuesday's y'all show, we're going to take you to Coral Gables. It's all about the Miami Hurricanes. Thursday, we're going to do our only Big Ten team in the South. It's the Maryland Terrapins that we'll be spotlighting a little bit on Thursday's Y'all Show. And then Friday, we're going to wrap it up in Oxford as Lane Kiffin's Mississippi Land Sharks are our featured school at the end of the week. But today, again, as we get this week up and going, it's all balls. Go Big Orange. And that's coming up in today's Yeah, of course. <laughs> If you talk about Tennessee and you, and they're the spotlight school, we're going to have to go ahead and just tell you a disclaimer. There will be Rocky Top played on today's y'all show. So just be careful out there if that if that song triggers you somehow. So we've got sports galore with Tennessee and more. We got a big birthday today going on across the nation. It is the 200th birthday today of the state of Missouri. 
Show Me State birthday. Today is the day, 200 years ago, that the state of Missouri, one of our border states in the south, became an official state. And later this hour in our week at this week in southern history, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the formation of the state of Missouri, or depending on where you're located, the state of Missouri. And we're going to talk about other southern history news and notes, including two people that were born this week that are known in southern history. One is a guy from Henniger, Tennessee, Alex Haley. He wasn't born there, but the author of Roots was born this week. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the Alex Haley story. And also this week, this lady is still with us, Rosalind Carter, born this week, the former first lady, of course, wife of, what have they've been married 70 years, I think. She and Jimmy Carter together for around 70 years, I think it is. And we'll go to Plains, Georgia, and salute Rosalind Carter as part of our Southern History Spotlight later this hour. Hour number two today, it's our friend Jerry Short stopping by. He's the Takapola storyteller. And Jerry's got he's got something on his mind. He's already kind of giving me a heads up of what it is. And I'm going to let Jerry go off. I'm just going to turn the microphone over to the Takapola storyteller because I don't care what he says about this next fella on the subject, on the docket today, because I can't stand the guy. The guy's cost me a lot of money. The guy's cost a lot of people a lot of money. He's influenced elections. He's had movies made about him. I don't like him. And if you don't know who it is, well, stay tuned. Hour 2, our Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short, is going to be on to bash this fella, this little Ivy Leaguer, and it's going to be a lot of fun hearing Jerry do that. And I'm going to bash him, too, because, like I said, the guy's he's been costing me money for about 13 years. And I don't like it. And I'm jealous. So Jerry's going to be on to talk about that and more. We also have Melissa Rhodes. She's got a southern accent on food coming your way in hour number two. Hour three today, we're going to wrap it up with more sports, more Tennessee Vols. And speaking of the Vols, speaking of what just ended over the weekend... The Olympics. We got a special treat coming forward in hour number three. In addition to telling you all about the University of Tennessee's traditions and famous alumni, well, one of those famous alumni, we're actually going to play a clip for for you today. Richmond Flowers is a University of Tennessee former football player, and he ran track. Richmond Flowers, a legend in Alabama, a legend in Tennessee. And he was on the weekend on a sister program of ours called the Saturday Sports Roundup with Joe Holloway and others. And we've got a clip of that that we're going to play in hour number three. Richmond Flowers, again, an Olympian at one point, was a incredible trackster and a great football player back during the Tennessee Vols football teams of the, I guess it would have been early 70s, maybe late 60s. And we're going to have a clip coming forward, Hour 3, from Richmond Flowers, who was the son growing up of Alabama's attorney general and a progressive attorney general at that. And his son decided to go play his college football at the University of Tennessee instead of the home state, Alabama Crimson Tide. But Richmond, who I got to work with also some years ago, and his son Bill, He went back to Alabama and went to law school at the University of Alabama. So he ended up getting a degree from the Capstone. We'll have a portion of his interview again from the Saturday Sports Roundup. 
and that will be coming your way in hour number three. Let me tell you how you can get in touch with this show. This is the Y'all Show, Talk with a Southern Accent. Our number, the text at your leisure, is 803-816-1170. Very, very easy for you to reach out to us at your own choosing. You can do it now. You can text us later. We'll read it. We'll read it right here on the air. Whatever you've got to say, 803-816-1170. That's also a number you can pick up the telephone and call if you'd like to. Very, very easy for you to reach out here and connect to the South's talk show host. We're also available, if you miss us, on a great radio station around the Southeast. You can listen to us, again, kind of like the text line, at your own beck and call. And you can do that through our podcast options. Now, one way to listen to our podcast is go to y'all.com. Did you realize that's the South's homepage? You can go there. I just talked to a lady today, and she asked for my email. And I told her, and I said, you know, at y'all.com. And she said, oh, I just love that email. (laughs) Well, we just love that website, y'all.com. And so we want you to reach out to us and go to y'all.com and check out our fantastic stories that we're adding more and more content more and more often. Go there. We also put up there at y'all.com our show that's available each and every day. So that's making it very easy for you, don't you think? But if you also are one of these guys or gals that likes to have the trendy apps on your phone or iPad and you want to listen to it in the y'all show in one of those trendy ways we're available for free download all you gotta do is go to the app for apple apple podcast nice beautiful purple app if you have an apple product and search for y'all show we're right there we're also available on stitcher we're on the iheart radio app the tune in app and you can get us on spotify it's so easy to catch up with us you have Zero excuses to tell us here, oh, I didn't know I could listen to you like that. Well, here I am being the bearer of good news and letting you know that you have so many great ways to get in touch with your inner Southern by going to all of those options of listening to the Y'all Show. Again, John Raw, let's dig in to what's going on across the Southeast today as we look at some of our headlines And we'll start off today with something coming in from the Department of Defense. The United States military is requiring all military troops to get the COVID vaccine in about five weeks. they got to have this by September 15th. As the Pentagon announcing today, members of the military will get this vaccine. They announced this in a memo obtained by the Associated Press. The deadline could be pushed up if the vaccine receives final FDA approval our infection rates continue to rise. According to Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, in a memo he sent to troops, he says, I will seek the president's approval to make the vaccines mandatory no later than mid-September or immediately upon licensure by the FDA. I will not hesitate to act sooner or recommend a different course to the president if I feel the need to do so. Again, this is expected to be released to all military personnel a required vaccine and it got me thinking have we ever required our military to actually do something other than obey orders is this a order i mean this is an order that is i guess concerning their own personal lives here 
I don't know. You, you're likely to possibly see some military members still defy getting the vaccine. What's going to happen? Are they going to go to Fort Leavenworth and be sent off there for quite some time if they don't get the vaccine? There are some stubborn people. And if you're stubborn, you have a right to be. Because as of now, it's not a requirement from the government as of now that the regular citizens of the country have to have a vaccine. But according to the Secretary of Defense, this coming out today, that if you're in the U.S. military, and I don't know if this is active duty troops alone, is this reservists, National Guard, but they're being forced to take the vaccine. And that is the breaking news today from the Pentagon. Now, let me tell you about Ron DeSantis of Florida and what he's doing to help teachers. Here's a guy who's been embattled here lately because of the uptick of the Delta variant in the Sunshine State. And he and President Biden at times have kind of been pitted up against each other. Well, today, Governor DeSantis gave out $1,000 bonuses to Florida teachers and even told them, God bless you as they receive their checks. Now, the checks which were postmarked last week on August 3rd, these teachers in Florida received a letter along with the check acknowledging the challenges that Florida faced during the COVID-19 pandemic and stating that the state has put students and families first. The letter goes on to thank teachers for the efforts without whom the state's efforts would not have been possible. Remember, you got two of the nation's largest states here in the South, and those would be Florida and Texas. Both have very strong state legislatures and executives leading the state that are on the Republican side of things. And I don't really want to get too political here, but those two big states here in the country were completely different in the way they handled COVID-19 than some of the Democratic-led states. Now, the Democratic-led states are having, I won't say a good laugh, but they're almost saying, see, told you so, because of the uptick in the Delta variant. In fact, I saw where somebody, I think it was Jim Acosta at CNN, called the Delta variant in Florida the DeSantis variant, I think. Still, people's lives are at stake. But the way it, this was handled in the last year, just from an educational standpoint, where Florida and Texas... As far as I know, almost every school district went back to school as normal as, as they could have been for most of the school year, where I know in California, a lot of those districts just were virtual, and it was an absolute disaster. And those weren't the only areas. We had places here in the South that were virtual learning most of the year last year, and I think from all signs, that did not turn out as good as it could have been if the students could have been in the schoolroom, classroom learning as they traditionally would have been. But we're still, right now, students are going back today. Students went back last week. Arkansas, two weeks ago, some of the students went back to class. And this Delta is really altering a lot of plans. We're seeing cancellations just like we saw back in March of 2020, now as a result of the Delta variant. But in an effort maybe to look good with the teachers' unions of his state, in an effort to do the right thing, a $1,000 check going to the teachers of Florida and to the leadership there, the principals of the Sunshine State, all getting a little bonus in the mail, a little, a little thank you. 
and a letter from Ron DeSantis, too, to go along with it. I'm sure that's what a lot of them really were looking forward to, that nice personal letter from the chief executive and some say a possible contender for president in 2024 if he indeed wants to go that route. Moving on with more headlines here on the Y'all Show, talk with a Southern accent. Okay, so I just wiped my brow. It's getting a little hot. Is it me or or is it where we are? We've been spoiled in a large part of the part of the South here the last couple of days. Temperatures have been unseasonably mild compared to what you might expect in early August. Well, the dog days of summer are now arriving. It's going to be a hot week across the South. Above average heat will blanket much of the Great Plains and Upper Midwest, and that's going to kind of creep into a large portion of the South. The heat index today alone, especially in the Mid-South portion of the South, temperatures, the heat index in the mid-100s, the 105 range, 101 around New Orleans. Gosh, in North Texas, 107 degrees is what expected. Down on the Rio Grande, 109 around Laredo, Texas, the heat index this week. Much cooler as you work your way toward the Atlantic seaboard. But be advised, we, in a large large portion of the south over the last couple of days, have been spoiled by a little bit lower than expected temperatures. And it looks like this week, Mother Nature's roaring back with a lot of more temperatures and perhaps a lot more frustration for you who are looking out to to go outside for a nice jog or or something along those lines. Y'all talk with a Southern accent. We'll take a break. When we come back, we've got a quick update on the sports world, the passing of Bobby Bowden, as well as some news from college football, a couple of new athletic directors named over the weekend. That's ahead on Y'all. The Y'all Show remembers college football coaching legend Bobby Bowden, who passed away on Sunday at the age of 91, one of the most successful guys to ever roam the sidelines of college football. A legendary coach, led Florida State to national championships, two of them back in the 1990s. And, of course, the father of Tommy and Terry and a bunch of other youngins. And he passed away in Tallahassee over the weekend. The Y'all Show, remembering Birmingham native Bobby Bowden. A statement put out by Terry Bowden over the weekend. My father passed away peacefully early this morning. That would have been Sunday. With all six of his children and my mother and by his side. I couldn't have asked for a better personal mentor Then my father, he was a wonderful husband and father who relied on his strong Christian faith to provide the foundation for his life. Terry Bowden going on to say, I also was fortunate to be raised by a football coach who had a reputation for coaching the right way. 
his entire career. He was admired by everyone who played for him or coached against him. Now, back in July, Bobby Bowden was diagnosed with terminal medical condition. Pancreatic cancer is what he had. And he has passed away after a very good and long battle with life. A battle that took him into his early 90s. And the longtime Florida State coach, Bobby Bowden, passing away on Sunday. Now, I was doing some research before the show. Bobby Bowden, of course, grew up in the Birmingham area. He attended Alabama for just one season before he transferred and started playing college football at a campus next to where he grew up, Howard College, which is now Samford University. And Bowden played football for Howard. I assume they were the Bulldogs back in the day. And then ended up going on to coach Howard College. Not Howard University, the one in D.C. This was Howard College in the Birmingham area, East Lake, the subdivision or area of Birmingham where it was located. In the late 1950s, Howard College relocated to Shades Valley, which is on the other side of the Vulcan statue in the Homewood area of Birmingham. So Bobby Bowden attended Sanford. His wife attended Sanford, Howard College at the time, and has a very long history of being there at at what is now Sanford University. He got a chance to leave Howard where he was the head coach, to go be an assistant at Florida State. He did that for a few years. Ultimately, he became the head coach at West Virginia and then got the job at Florida State in the early, maybe it was mid-1970s. He took over a program that had so much potential but had not yet seen its potential, and Bowden immediately found success leading the Garnet and Gold. And in 1993 and 1999, after a lot of debate whether Florida State could ever actually pull it off. This followed the success of Miami. Miami Hurricanes had had such great success in the 1980s in college football, and they kind of sprung up out of nowhere. Florida Gator fans started to have a rebound with Steve Spurrier's arrival in the early 90s. And then you had Florida State, and they got past the wide lefts and wide rights of the world. And... Bobby Bowden took him to the mountaintop, and Bobby Mount, Bobby Bowden's on the mountaintop today, a fantastic Christian. Perhaps some of you have seen him in person through the years as he often went on speaking engagements. Many of them were religious in nature. He was very strong with his Christian faith. He was a great speaker. I was listening to some audio after I found out about his passing, and he was not shy. He He could command not only the sideline, he could command the microphone. I actually had a chance to talk to him one time. I called the Bowden house to do an interview with Ann, his beautiful wife. And it was Bobby that answered the telephone. So I had a chance to talk to him for a minute. And what a great honor it was. And and I found out the two of them had to kind of speed the interview along because back at that time, some 15 years ago when I called, they at that time and probably still did up until his health really spiraled downward, they would regularly go out to eat in Tallahassee, I think to some of the buffets, if I can remember correct. So chances are, if you are a Tallahassee resident or someone who's been through Tallahassee and hung out, you've probably seen the Bowdens out and around town at great places. 
And I don't blame you if you would have gone up and said, Coach, I really enjoy you, you coaching and you do it the right way, Coach Bowden. And Coach Bobby Bowden did it the right way. And congratulations on a life well lived and this legendary college football coach who I think technically only trails Joe Paterno in terms of wins at the FBS level. The South's leading coach, for sure, on the FBS level, Bobby Bowden. We lost him on Sunday at the age of 91. The special teams coordinator for the Georgia Bulldogs has stepped away because of health issues. Scott Cochran has left as he is stepping aside, and former Florida and South Carolina head coach Will Muschamp will step in during Scott Cochran's absence as the Georgia Bulldogs special teams coordinator. He's got health problems. That was the reason given by Georgia coach Kirby Smart on Scott Cochran's departure as the special teams coordinator. Now, this guy, his name should sound familiar. He's been part of the Alabama Crimson Tide staff for many years. And Georgia and Kirby Smart hired him away from T-Town back in February of 2020. But the reason his name should stand out, if you're especially an Alabama Crimson Tide fan, is the 42-year-old Cochran was the special, uh, not special teams, he was the strength coach at Alabama for all those years under Nick Saban. He's the guy that kind of had the bald head that'd be running up and down the sideline like an, acting like an idiot, waving a towel and getting the players fired up and getting the team fired up because Nick Saban's not going to necessarily become a cheerleader. But it was Cochran, who, again, was the Tide's strength and conditioning coach. And Kirby Smart hired him away from the Tide, but not to be the strength and conditioning coach, to be the special teams coordinator. So I'm actually kind of impressed that Cochran gave up on this strength and conditioning career to go be a special teams coordinator, and that's what he's been. But he's having to step away for health issues, undisclosed this time. Again, Will Muschamp, who's been on the staff since he got terminated at USC in Columbia, and he, he's got a son who's a, I guess he'll be a redshirt freshman on Georgia's football team as a backup quarterback, Muschamp's son, Jackson Muschamp is his name. And Muschamp now stepping away from kind of being a uh, quality control guy, guy there for UGA to more, at least on a temporary basis, a special teams coordinator. Frankly, I think he can't take over a coaching job, official coaching job, because it'll cost him money and cost him money coming from zip code 290-something-something. Area code 803. I think South Carolina still has got to pay him a lot of money, and they will be having to send that unless he gets another big job in the coaching ranks. That's usually how those contracts work. But that's the news out of the Between the Hedges land. Now some athletics director's news here as we continue our college football discussion. Virginia Tech has extended the contract of A.D. Whit Babcock for another five years, and that will keep Whit Babcock at Blacksburg as the A.D. there through June of 2029. The announcement today coming from this ACC institution. 
The president of Virginia Tech, Tim Sands, said Whit Babcock and his roster of talented coaches have done an outstanding job creating memorable moments for our coaches, alumni, and fans and making the student-athletic experience their top priority. Uh, President Sands, I would say objection. Fuente hasn't necessarily been a gangbuster coach so far. He's been average at best. So let's not praise Whit Babcock. But, hey, he got the big extension, and he signed up to be the ACC, what are they, Coastal, ACC Coastal member school for several more years. A athletic director hiring in the Southeastern Conference as UNLV athletic director Desiree Francois is leaving the Rebels, the one in Vegas, to go be the Tigers, the one in Columbia's, Athletic director, Mizzou, hiring Desiree Francois. And she'll become Mizzou's first female athletic director. She's a former rower at UCLA. You know, she's been going backward her whole life, but now she's finally getting it turned around, the 49-year-old Francois. I'm kidding on that. But actually, those rowers do go backwards. They face backwards, at least. And again, becoming the first female AD in Missouri and the second in SEC history as Vanderbilt's Candace Lee was hired, was it two years ago? And she was the first athletic director that is a female in SEC history. So now a change in Como with the additional hire of a new athletic director coming on board. We will continue the college football and college sports talk when we come back today. We're on Rocky Top. The Tennessee Vols are our featured school on our 44-city trip around Dixie, getting you ready for the start of college football in just a few days, frankly. And we're going to hear from Josh Heifel, coach of the Vols, and tell you more about UT 2021. That's ahead on the Y'all Show. The South and college football have enjoyed a love affair for more than 150 years. And the Y'all Show is getting y'all ready for the biggest year college football's ever had. We're on a 44-city tour of Dixie's great college football teams. John Rawl is getting you ready when the toe meets leather Labor Day weekend. So get your chin strap on and get ready for today's Southern College Football Tour stop. Here's Johnny. I am getting y'all ready, and it is a tremendous honor to get y'all ready for the start of the 2021 college football season. And I bet you at some point early in the season, probably on that first Saturday in a place called Neyland Stadium, you'll know it's college football, and you know the boys are back in town when the Tennessee balls strike up down the field today it's all big orange the featured school on our 44 city tour all right and of course we know that that is one of the two songs probably played more than often than others 
by the UT marching band. I'm going to play that other song. I'm going to play it in a second. But first, you're going to have to let me tell you all about the 2021 edition of Tennessee Volunteer Football. The Vols begin the season on a Thursday at Neyland Stadium. It's Thursday, September 2nd, as the Falcons of Bowling Green fly in from the north. And this will be a primetime matchup on the SEC Network when Josh Heupel begins his era leading UT on that first weekend. It's a Thursday game, so Tennessee fans, you can go party it up on the banks of the Tennessee and then go off to other college towns throughout the weekend because you'll be kind of done with your weekend after that Thursday night matchup against Bowling Green. In fact, Tennessee better be resting up. They've got a tough game. It's the Johnny Majors clash. It's Johnny Majors' school that he helped lead to great prominence in the 70s, the Pittsburgh Panthers. They come to Johnny Majors' alma mater in a school he coached for so many years and led them to so many SEC championships. It's UT and the Pitt Panthers on September 11th in Knoxville. That's going to be a high noon affair on ESPN. Tennessee Tech's, they, the Eagles wind their way over from Cookville for a game on September 18th. That's a high noon start between those two neighbors in the Volunteer State. Then SEC play begins for Tennessee at Florida on September 25th. Ooh, what a big win that would be if Tennessee could go into the swamp and walk out victorious. The Vols continue the road trip in the SEC. October 2nd, they're at Mizzou. Then it's back home in the friendly confines for a couple of games. It's the South Carolina Gamecocks and their new coach, Shane Beamer. They pay a visit to Neyland on October 9th. And then, woo, it's going to be fun on October 16th when former coach, the coach of one year and then Tennessee, he left you at the altar. Lane Kiffin and the Sharks, they swim in from Oxford. It's Mississippi and Tennessee on October 16th from Rocky Top, a place of horrors normally for the University of Mississippi. Then the third Saturday of October features the Vols at the Alabama Crimson Tide on October 23rd. On the 6th of November, it's the Old Beer Barrel Battle, Tennessee and UK from Lexington's Kroger Field, that again November 6th. Homecoming on Rocky Top is November 13th when the Georgia Bulldogs pay a visit to Rocky Top. And then the Vols winding up the season with a game against the South Alabama Jaguars on November 20th. And then the in-state foe, the Vanderbilt Commodores, come in to Knoxville to wrap up things on Saturday, November 27th. Josh Heupel entering his first year as the coach of the Vols. We'll talk a little bit more about what he's expected to do And the pundits aren't exactly jumping in his corner to say that he's going to have a fantastic year. One writer, Zach Reagan, I see an article posted at A to Z Sports Nashville.com. He's predicting a disaster for Tennessee in 2021. In fact, a Rivals.com national columnist, Mike Farrell, has revealed his SEC predictions this week. And he doesn't think Heupel is going to win many games as the columnist for Rivals has Tennessee going 4-8 and eight this year, finishing 6 in the SEC East, and that's just barely ahead of Vanderbilt. 
Vanderbilt is expected to go, according to this writer for Rivals, 2-10 and 10 in the forthcoming season. What this writer said was, while there's still some good players left on the Tennessee roster, with all of the upheaval in the program that has occurred in the last year, there's been a big talent drain and an uphill battle ahead for Coach Josh Heupel. One of the biggest remaining questions is what on earth is happening at the quarterback position. What is happening? Harrison Bailey, according to this writer, should be the starter, but the Vols have brought in two other guys via the transfer portal that have a experience at least in starting at quarterback. Michigan transfer Joe Milton and Virginia Tech transfer Hendon Hooker. Those guys could be in the lookout or be on the watch for them to be the Vols guy behind center. So again, a lot of people expecting four and eight. I think Tennessee would be very lucky, frankly, to go six and six and get to a bowl game. They do have problems. They do have quarterback issues. They do have a a new coach coming in that, sure, Heupel had done a, on paper, fantastic job at the AAC's UCF Knights. But there's a big climb from Orlando up to Rocky Top. And you just have to wonder if this guy has the it factor to be a major college football coach. Now, he is a guy that knows major college football. Remember Heupel, the 43-year-old, did a great job at Oklahoma as he played for the Oklahoma Sooners, helped lead them to a national championship. So he's he knows primetime football and was a consensus All-American while playing for the Sooners. In fact, I think that was the last Sooner team to win a national championship when Heupel was leading the way. And he's been serving on staffs like Coach Stoops at Oklahoma multiple times. He's gone on to be Missouri's offensive coordinator in the past and then hired at UCF back in 2018 when Scott Frost took off to Nebraska. And at UCF, Heupel did a great job. His record was 12-1, and 10-3, and three, and then last year's crazy corona year, 6-4. and four. Danny White, his athletic director at UCF, got hired to be the athletic director at Tennessee, and voila, he goes down the hall and takes him out of the door, out of the office, a guy named Josh Heupel. He takes him on to Tennessee with him. Pretty easy coaching decision. Heupel, the 27th head coach at Tennessee, hired back in January. And some of the pundits, again, aren't expecting a whole lot out of this program this year. Text me. If you think Tennessee's going to win more than six games, I want to hear what your thoughts are. Give me a, a breakdown of maybe where those wins are coming. Our number to do that is 803-816-1170. Let me tell you about Tennessee. They have really, really struggled. This is a this is this this is the SEC's second best program historically, only trailing Alabama. The Vols claim six national titles and then another eight that are unclaimed. That's fourteen national titles that in some way or shape or form they have some kind of legitimate claim, whether it's claimed or unclaimed. The six claimed titles 38, 40, 50, 51, 67, and 98. 
of course, many of those back when Coach Nealon was leading the balls on the gridiron. Robert Nealon, the retired general. Then Doug Dickey had that amazing 1967 season for him. And then Coach Fulmer the year after Peyton Manning, which congratulations to the former Vol quarterback for getting inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame over the weekend. Fulmer and T. Martin and others got that amazing 13-0 season and beat the late Bobby Bowden in the Fiesta Bowl during that 1998 season to win the most recent national championship for the Big Orange. But Tennessee has won 16 conference championships in program history. Starting way back in the SIAA, they won two Southern Conference championships before joining the SEC, have won a slew of those. But it's been 23 years since the Vols have hoisted a championship trophy in the SEC. That same national championship year is the year I'm referencing. And they haven't even been to Atlanta for the SEC championship game since back in 2007. That's a long time, Vol fans. That's a long time for a program that I said is the second best college football program in the Southeastern Conference. And so there's definitely that push to make Tennessee relevant again, to make Tennessee competitive again. For goodness sakes, they've really had a tough go of it in many of these last years, and they've had a real tough go of it from a coaching standpoint with the Derek Dooleys of the world, and then you had Butch Jones, Lane Kiffin, maybe what could have been if he'd have stuck around longer than one year. But Tennessee has a very proud history, and we're going to walk through some of that proud history and some of the Hall of Famers who've come out of this program. In fact, we've got an incredible Tennessee Vol grade of yesteryear that we're going to let you hear later in the program, Richmond Flowers. He was just on our sister program called The Sports Zone, and he was on that, I'm sorry, on Saturday Sports Roundup, and he talked about his time as both a track runner trying to get to the Olympics back in the 1960s to being a Tennessee Vol football player, and that's a really, really neat conversation that you're going to get to hear Richmond Flowers. By the way, Tennessee has retired eight jerseys in the history of the program. Doug Atkins, Peyton Manning, Reggie White, Clyde Fusan, Rudy Clara, Billy Noling, Willis Tucker, and the late great coach and player Johnny Majors. Some of the people who've made UT what it is and certainly one of the best college football programs going but right now they're struggling a bit and that's why if you're a Vol fan you can maybe have a lot of hope in Hypel. there's a lot of hype in Hypel, a lot of hope in Josh Hypel and what he's doing and they may not get back to the mountaintop of Rocky Top this year but it looks like Tennessee if it all goes well could be climbing that Rocky Top with another trophy in the very near future. And when they do, you know they're going to be playing this song. The Y'all Show will wrap up this first hour. In just a minute, we have a big birthday going on. It is the state of Missouri's 200th birthday today. We'll tell you about that, as well as former First Lady Rosalind Carter with a birthday this week. That's ahead as the Y'all Show winds up this first hour. Go on, good old Rocky Top. 
All right, that's probably not going to hit number one on the charts anytime soon, but that is the Missouri State song, and perhaps today we should be singing Happy Birthday, because today, literally today, it is the 200th birthday of Missouri becoming an official state here in the good old U.S. of A. They've been having a whole year of bicentennial events going on, And it was on this day back in 1821, the 24th star was added to the flag of the United States of America when Missouri joined up with the good old red, white, and blue. Now a little bit more about that historic day of Missouri becoming a state. Now, of course, if you know anything about history, you know about what's called the Missouri Compromise. So 200 years ago, Missouri was added as a state but it was added as a slave state. And when it was added, a temporary state capital was put in St. Charles. The capital back in 1826 moved to Jefferson City, which is on the Missouri River right in the heart of the state. And as I said, started as a slave state in 1821 as part of the Missouri Compromise. And that was a federal legislation that stopped northern attempts to forever prohibit slavery's expansion by admitting Missouri as a slave state and Maine as a free state in exchange for legislation which prohibited slavery in the remaining Louisiana Purchase land. So there you have it. Again, part of this country's long and complicated history, and certainly its long and complicated history with slavery, that you had Maine and Missouri added as states at the same time, one free, one slave. The one slave state added, but with the little caveat that none of the other Louisiana Purchase lands would be part of slave territory. And that's why those states like Nebraska and the Dakotas and Montana and Wyoming, they were never allowed to have slavery in those states all because of the Missouri Compromise, and that's how Missouri became a state 200 years ago. I know there's events going on. There's a really good website you can go to that is all about the bicentennial of the state. Just Google Missouri Bicentennial, and you'll get some great information about how you can perhaps celebrate. Even if you're not a show-me-stater, Take time to learn about Missouri as a history, as as a southern state. It is a southern state. It is not going to win the award as the most deep southern state. But there are certainly portions of Missouri that are pretty southern. You can go to the Boot Hill. You can go to Springfield, Missouri. You can listen to their current governor of the state of Missouri talk anytime you want to. And you'll be able to pick up on some of that information yourself about, wow, that's That's a southern state right there. By the way, that's Governor Mike Parson. Where is Mike Parson from, the current governor of Missouri? He was born in Wheatland, Missouri, and raised on a farm in Hickory County and graduated from Wheatland High School. And that is Wheatland, Missouri. That's, I guess, due north of Springfield, sort of in the southwestern corner of the Show Me State is where the governor is from. He's a former sheriff of Polk County in the state of Missouri and ended up going from law enforcement into 
the governor's mansion as the current governor, the 57th governor of the Show Me State. So congratulations, Missouri. Happy birthday. And go out and carve you up some good Missouri food, maybe some Kansas City ribs and some other things that people in Missouri do for the bicentennial of that state. The following person has a birthday here this week. This is a segment here where we're telling you a little bit about some of the Southern history going on this week. And we want to recognize Alex Haley. We lost Alex Haley back in 1992. But, of course, he is the guy behind Roots, which was this unbelievable book and movie back in the 1970s. And Alex Haley, although born in Ithaca, New York, spent a good portion of his young childhood in Henning, Tennessee. And that is in West Tennessee in Lauderdale County. That is Lauderdale County, Ripley, Tennessee, West Tennessee, about 45 minutes or an hour north of Memphis, kind of between Memphis and Dyersburg is where you'll find both Lauderdale County and Henning, Tennessee. But Alex Haley went on from his childhood in Henning to go to school. He went to his father's alma mater, which was Alcorn State. He enrolled there at age 15 in Lorman, Mississippi to go to school there. Then he went on to other HBCUs and ended up going into the United States Coast Guard as he became a Coast Guard service member in 1939 and went into a 20-year career in the United States Coast Guard. Very distinguished career there. And then again, went into writing, and it was Roots. And that came out in 1976, Roots, the Saga of an American Family, the story of Kunta Kente. And that became a huge miniseries on ABC in 1979. And a lot of people remember that big series when it was played. It had unbelievable numbers, by the way, the viewership of that thing. 130 million viewers, a record-breaking 130 million people tuned in to see Roots on ABC back in 1979. Kunta Kente, with some memorable lines, of course, from that. But Alex Haley, born August 11th, 1921, as we remember him during the week of his birth, the guy with the connection to West Tennessee, Alex Haley here on what would be his 100th birthday this week, the Roots writer. Now, this lady is still with us, luckily. Rosalind Carter, born Eleanor Rosalind Carter in 1927. She was born in Plains, Georgia. I didn't know she was born there. And, of course, she was married to another famous Plains, Georgia fellow named Jimmy Cotta. But the first lady, the wife of President Jimmy Carter who, again, was the nation's 39th president, and Rosalind Carter, the first lady from 1977 to 1981. She celebrates a birthday here this week as she was born August 18th in peanut country, and she and Jimmy went on to have four children, and they have been married since 1946. This year marked the 75th anniversary of their wedding, and they just had a big celebration Garth Brooks went down there and gave him an antique car or truck or something like that. And other famous people made their way to peanut country to celebrate alongside the Carters. But those are some of our southern connections and our southern history as we wrap up this 
first hour of today's Y'all Talk with a Southern accent. We will take a break. Come right back. Hour number two is ahead. And in hour number two, we are going to bring on Jerry Short and find out what's going on in Takapola land. And after the break, we'll catch you up on some of the headlines of what's going on across the southeast. So don't forget to stick around for all of that fun. And also don't forget that the Y'all Show is powered by the website, the homepage of the South. It is y'all.com, and you can go to y'all.com right now and find all of the podcast options to tune in the show, and you can listen to it at your own liking. So stay tuned. Get ready. Hour 2 is coming up. It's the Y'all Show. For more conversation about what's going on in the 16 southern states, I'm General John Rawl, the general of all things Southern. John Rawl, CSA, Certified Southern American. And here in this second hour of our Monday conversation about the South, we're going to dive into more headlines coming in, some sad and tragic stories that we'll share with you in just a second, but then we'll lighten the mood in just a few minutes when our Taka Pola storyteller, Jerry Short, he checks in from the farm, and we'll let you know what's going on on the farm here in Takapola, U.S. of A. That's ahead in just a few minutes. We'll wrap up this hour with Melissa Rhodes and a southern accent on good southern food. Ooh, I am ready to hear about that, although I don't know if I can stomach it because I'm hungry. Are y'all hungry? You about want to go get you a little snack, a little power snack before Melissa drops by before the conclusion of this hour. Hour three, don't forget today, we got more on the Tennessee Vols. They are today's Spotlight School and Vol Great Richmond Flowers. We have a very good clip coming from the Saturday Sports Roundup show that we'll be playing a portion of that in hour number three. 803-816-1170 is how you can get in touch with the show that's all about the South, and that is a way to call or text 24-7. It's the Y'all Show and our number, you can just go ahead and save in your phone, 803-816-1170. Looking back at some more headlines coming in from across the southeast, as we told you, we've got a string of real tragedies to tell you about. How about this out of the Winder area? I was just in Commerce last weekend, but out of Banks County, Georgia, I was in Banks County, technically, last weekend, and now this weekend, a story from this northeast Georgia area. A rural mail carrier was shot and killed Saturday while delivering mail. The Banks County, Georgia Sheriff's Office says the man was shot sometime before 9.30 in the morning on a rural road outside of Commerce, Georgia. The Sheriff's Office said the man's name was being withheld until relatives could be notified. No suspects or reasons for the shooting have been identified. The sheriff's office said it was working with U.S. postal inspectors to investigate. Attacking a mail carrier is a federal crime. And again, this out of commerce. This is the county just to the north of Athens, Georgia. A rural mail carrier killed while out delivering mail on a Saturday morning. 
That one's just bizarre right there and tragic at the same time. Another tragedy, this comes to us from Kentucky. A couple from Richmond, Kentucky, were both gunned down. And the man accused of killing them, Thomas Burrell, has been arrested, but he has pleaded not guilty. And the couple, Chris and Gracie Hager, were a well-known Richmond, Kentucky couple. That is the city where the university is located, Eastern Kentucky University. And this couple were killed on August 3rd, according to police. Mr. Burrell, using a stolen gun, shot and killed the Hagers outside a duplex that they owned. Burrell was staying there at the time. Police say he then set fire to the building, and that involved police coming in a standoff that lasted several hours. And again, the victims, 54-year-old Chris Hager and his wife, 52-year-old Gracie Hager, were murdered by this man. And they were well-known in Richmond, Kentucky, very active in the community, very involved with their church and more. And Burl, who was arraigned on two murder charges this week and an arson charge, he was in a court appearance this week via video, and he did not have an attorney to help him, he still doesn't have one employed, but he entered a not guilty plea in this case of a couple senselessly, it looks like, murdered by this 51-year-old man who evidently was one of their tenants in Richmond, Kentucky. Also, a story coming from way south Texas. A man has been arrested in the killings of three women on South Padre Island. This is, of course, the very nice vacation area north of the Rio Grande where it dumps out into the Gulf of Mexico. Police arresting a 23-year-old man in the killings of three women at a home on South Padre Island. Officers were called to a family disturbance at a condo in the island city Saturday night and arrived to find three women shot dead. Police said the suspect fled the scene of the shooting but later turned himself in when was arrested in the nearby community of Port Isabel. The man, they said, is being held on South Padre Island pending formal charges. The three women who were killed were all from the Houston area. They were ages 65, 47, and 46. And their names not being released at this point. But again, a man is in a, in custody, arrested, and the killings of these three women in South Padre Island, Texas. A lawsuit alleges... A Kentucky medical student was expelled for anti-abortion views. And now this lawsuit is proceeding from former student Austin Clark. He was a student at the University of Louisville Medical School, ULSOM, and he has been expelled just months before his graduation date. And he claims he was expelled because of his views on abortion. And he has filed his suit and has had a series of confrontations with faculty after he invited an anti-abortion speaker to campus back in 2019. According to his lawsuit filed, an OBGYN instructor allegedly called Clark stupid and questioned the way Clark's brain was working. Clark also said the instructor said that you are not going to treat me that way and you are the worst preceptor I have ever had. And again, he was expelled for some reason, although the reason not totally given out at this point and that's why maybe this guy's taking it on in a lawsuit against 
the University of Louisville and its School of Medicine right there on the banks of the Ohio River. Chicken prices are soaring. Have you been to get you some chicken nuggets lately? Yeah, prices are up right now. And maybe that's the reason a Mississippi company is clucking and strutting around like they just got $4.5 billion. Well, that's exactly what's happened. As the nation's third largest poultry producer, Sanderson Farms, is now being acquired for $4.53 billion. Cargill and privately held Continental Grain have formed a joint venture to acquire the Sanderson Farms, paying $203 per share in cash for a company that last year processed more than 4.8 billion pounds of meat. I think most of that was chicken meat. The company plans to combine Sanderson Farms with Wayne Farms and form a new privately held poultry business. Operations will include poultry processing plants and prepared food plants in the following states, all of which are in the South, Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, North Carolina, and Texas. The Laurel, Mississippi-based Sanderson Farms has 17,000 employees and 12 plants, and it processes nearly 14 million chickens each week. And you have to feel... Now that they've combined, now that the parent, the the leaders of the company have sold out for over $4 billion, what's going to happen to those 17,000 employees at the 12 plants that Sanderson Farms runs? Hopefully they'll be able to continue their employment. The company they're being teamed up with, Wayne Farms, has 9,000 employees. But we love our chicken in the South. We know it's a tough business. It's a tough business from the farmer who grows the chicken. It's a tough business from those who have to harvest the chickens and work in these chicken plants. It's a absolutely disgusting business. But, my God, what would we be if we didn't have chicken? I don't think there would be a single kid that would ever eat meat if we didn't have chicken out there because the Chick-fil-A's and the McDonald's probably wouldn't stay in business if they didn't have that chicken. And Sanderson Farms has been a big player in making chicken available across the country, frankly, as it has been the Laurel, Mississippi-based company, the nation's third largest poultry producer, and now selling out for $4.5 billion. So somebody is happy, and they're counting their chickens (laughs) before they hatch. More of the Y'all Show is coming right up. Our friend Jerry Short is on the way. He's in Takapola, and we're going to find out what he's got to say. I'm going to tell you, Again, he's going to be talking about a guy that I don't like. Who? No, why would I not like somebody? We'll both explain when the Y'all Show rolls on. Frontier. 
It's the start of a week here on the Y'all Show, and there's no better way to get our week really up and going when we welcome in our Takapola storyteller into the program. He is Jerry Short, and I don't know if he killed him a bar when he was three or not. I don't even know if he was born in Tennessee or not, but I know he's a southern fella, and he's on to give us what's going on in Takapola, U.S. of A. And Jerry, I hope you're doing well. I hope all is well in Takapola, U.S. of A. And we just thank you so much for being back on Talk with a Southern Accent. Well, no bad three, I don't think. You don't think? My my daddy might have held a gun on him while I shot him. I don't think think so. But uh, I don't think we got bears. They had to cross swim across the river from Louisiana. Remember that Louisiana black bear? Yeah, I I know about that Louisiana black bear. Yeah, Yeah. Had one come through here not long ago. They had it uh, GPSed, and I guess it had been, I don't know if it was Delta National Park. Probably had a, uh, had a, had a, what do you call them? They put on them. I had one on a dog one time, a tracking system. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they tracked the thing. They went all up through this part of the world. Might have even kept into Tennessee. My I goodness. Well, well, Jerry, I don't know about if bears are running loose in your part of the world right now, but I do know the social media, uh, social justice warrior social media socialist if you will are all up in your world they're in my world they're in all of our world right now and i've already set this up earlier today jerry that me and mark zuckerberg aren't exactly on speaking terms i'm mad at old mark for a lot of reasons and i don't think you're necessarily on his christmas card list no i don't think so you know when you was at the hearings in Washington. I kind of saw real quick what I was dealing with, and uh, I should get completely off of Facebook. But only—that's what I've done. Well, I, I know, but you know, I got grandkids. I'm a little bit older than you, and I kind of keep up with their things that way through that. And my daughter sends me stuff that they've done or accomplished or whatever. And um, that's the only reason I got off for a little while, and because I got, uh, I didn't get Facebook jail house, but uh, and then what they call it, Facebook jail. It is. But have you ever I, been in Facebook jail? I haven't been in jail, but I've been suspended. I think they start out with three days or seven days, and then maybe a week, and which is seven days, obviously, and. Um, then I think you get twenty-one day jail deal. I believe is what I believe that's what they printed to me when they did that to me. And it was it was for actually something. It was just you know it shouldn't even. I, I can't imagine if we have freedom of speech. And you know, I, if you're like I am, somewhere in the first grade we learned a little bit about freedom of speech, didn't we? I don't and know what I, that is. What what is that concept, Jerry? Well, I don't know. I think it started in the 5th century B.C. in the Roman Republic. Uh, with religion and speech kind of all shoved in there together and then on to Europe and England and everywhere else. And then uh, we finally put it in our Constitution as an amendment, probably the First Amendment. In and uh, I think it's First Amendment, but then it's supposed to... Uh, 
we're supposed to have complete freedom of uh, speech and uh, uh, whatever resources we want to kind of convey, as long as they're not uh, pornography or something of that nature, you know, or or if you're uh, act absolutely trying to, I think race would be one, uh, some stuff like that, you can't do. But Facebook has gone beyond beyond all that. They'll censor you for almost anything. They have, you know, they got monitors and monitors. Like real people or robots? Well, I think both, probably, you know. And and I don't know what uh, gives them the right to determine what your opinion of what you said doesn't agree with their standards. I think, I think when Facebook first came out, it probably had some pretty good legitimate rules you know, not a lot of them probably to follow. You know, I remember when I first got on, gosh, I don't know how many years ago, seven, eight, nine, ten, something like, maybe not that long. But, uh, you know, it was just things like don't post inappropriate things. I remember stuff like that. And no fake names, I think, maybe it was something like that. And no multiple profiles. I don't know why they had that on there. I think they, I think you couldn't have the one, maybe, or something like that, one profile. And uh seemed like spam was a big deal with them, you know? And, uh, you know, what's the definition of spam? Is that just uh, repeating something over and over that may not actually, they think, they they uh, dictate that that is not the 100% truth in their eyes or their opinion or however they research it at uh, Facebook headquarters? You know, so uh, no, I, I go back to I think we have a constitutional right, and I think we have freedom of speech. And as I said, I think that all started back way back in the fifth century. It may so, have, but back in the eighteenth century, in a place called the United States, it was free speech and freedom of religion the founding principles of why this country even got going. Yeah, and I think that all was handed down to us from back to even B.C. Maybe yeah, so, but we, it doesn't matter if it was or wasn't. It was yeah. part of the founding of this country, and it's still on the books. And that's why I don't want to get too preachy with all y'all on the y'all show, but I was on Facebook. I had Instagram. I had Twitter. And after they kind of all teamed up and started throwing off people like the president of the United States and others and, Under the bus. and they started becoming the the I guess the media they were the media just these couple of social media socialist really? media as I like to mm-hmm. call them people why do I want to help them out so even though I had wow. about 15 follow 15,000 followers or people that like my stuff I dropped yeah. it all I dropped it all and I have slept better as a result and life goes on. So all I'm telling you, if you believe in yeah. free speech, if you believe in the First Amendment, you wouldn't be in support of Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. No, I'm not supportive of it. And I don't know why some conservative can't go ahead and uh, open a site up that uh, could compete with these uh, top two or three uh, companies that do this and get away with uh as you said, they're the media. They're uh, they run the pop the politicians. 
you know they've got control of about everything and uh and and that kid that needs to be censored itself before we get censored as much as we do well I, i'm and, not gonna sit here and pick on them for their own views but we know i mean take take politics out of it we know the facebook's of the world they track your movements they know more about you than you know about yourself and that's scary in itself and then they take that kind of knowledge they have on people and then they start censoring what you see and you don't see jerry that's just that's just not only wrong that's un-american oh no i've 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 had friends that have been jail uh in the jail house uh censorship uh with facebook and it's just mainly been because they 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 repeated a statement that they may have heard on television or somewhere else. Repeated it to another friend, and then they'll come back and say, "Hey, that that's not completely true." You know, we're not agreeing with the statement one hundred percent. So you're censored for twenty four hours, or, or three days, or a week. You know, and where do they get the uh, ability? Uh, constitutionally speaking to be able to have that kind of control over us individuals as citizens that uh, are just commenting to a friend about what we may have heard or saw you know they don't have the the right what's the difference in a telephone talking over a telephone to somebody and you know we're probably being censored over a telephone that's fine bring it on bring it on that's right Jerry, jerry it's just it's just so wrong and I, because it was just so wrong, I decided to take a, a rebel stand, if you will, back when all this started in November and December, in January specifically. And if more people would do that, we'd put Facebook out of business. If you believe in free speech and you believe in the First Amendment, you should be against Facebook. You should be against all those companies. Let's put these little people who should never have gone to the level of wealth and fame that they have, we can put them out of business. Oh, yeah, I know, and, and that's going to have to take place, and I need to get off. You know, I almost need to apologize for even being on it. And uh, Well, people like you, I, hey, Jerry, I don't mean to pick on you, but you're like a lot of people, probably the majority of people on there. And when I was on it, I had a little bit of this myself. But, frankly, a large reason people are on Facebook is to get that little virtual pat on the back. Yeah, Jerry, you go, Jerry. Jerry, you're great. Those are great pictures, Jerry. Those are great pictures, yeah. John. Man, uh, uh, and, and we don't need that. It's all mm-hmm. fake anyway. Yep, it's, it's uh, and it's been it's been uh, to the point now that it's just getting to the. You know, I, I was in Utah a few years ago, and they were building this huge building out there, north, uh, south of Salt Lake City, on Interstate 15. And I asked somebody, I said, "What is this deal?" And that is a storage place for all the conversations that are made over the telephone lines or through the air now. It's, it's easier to monitor it that way. But that building was big enough to hold our military's jet force, you know, and that's going to hold, it's going to hold that. Now I understand, I think they're building another one similar to it. In North Carolina, if I'm not mistaken, or Virginia, it's on the East Coast, where the other one is out for the West Coast in uh, the Rocky Mountain area. But uh, they're they're monitoring and keeping 
you know, it's like a library. You go in the library and you're looking for a Tom Sawyer book of Huck Finn or something. You know, they can go into that building and they can look up, hey, what John said or what Jerry said on such and such day and pull it straight to them. And, uh, hey, they got you, they got you monitored way too close and that's taking our freedoms away. And that's, that's washing out the First Amendment. And, uh, of course, we're talking that, but Second Amendment's coming also. Yeah, so. but first, fir- hey, first things first. And, right. and let me, speaking of something like that, let me go ahead and tell people, I'm John Rawl. You're listening to myself and Jerry Short, and this is The Y'all Show. And if we're not on the air tomorrow or we're not on the next day or the next day or the next week or the next month, you'll know they got us. They shut us up. They locked us away, and that's what we're going to talk about in the next segment, Jerry, is okay. what's happened with all these people from January 6th that are rotting away in jails. Oh, man, you could keep going on that for a long time. Since we're time. kind of uh, talking bad about social media, let's talk about the federal government while we're at it. We'll do yeah. that We'll do that okay. in the next segment. But, you know, I, yeah. I told people earlier yeah. in the show, Jerry, I'm no fan of Facebook, and I wasn't a fan 10 years ago before all of this censorship started. Jerry, I do the Y'all Show. I think I do a pretty good job with the Y'all Show. I have, I have a website called y'all.com. It's the South's homepage. Perhaps you've been there. Perhaps you like it. Black. Jerry, some 10-plus years ago, I was doing something Y'all-related that you might remember. Uh, Some, y'all related? Yeah, it had the... Oh, your sports? You were talking about mostly sports? No, 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 before that. Something you could hold in your hand. Oh, your magazine. Yeah, yeah sure. we had Y'all magazine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great magazine. Yeah. Great. We had it all over the South, and it was fantastic. And I, I was the publisher. I was the guy. I loved doing it. And I had so many great people like Dave Ramsey as writers. I had Jeff Foxworthy. I had the widow of Louis Grizzard. Gave us right. authorization to run his old columns. We had so much good stuff in there. And you know what killed the printed edition of Y'all Magazine, the magazine of Southern people? Gosh, I'm scared to ask. Uh, I know you got to have a fortune to keep one going. Even Oprah, I don't know if she can keep hers going. But mm. go ahead. Well, that is partially true. You're right. But I was able to keep it going for eight years until something called Facebook took, took over. And every advertiser's like, oh, we got to go toward this shiny new object called Facebook because that's where the future is. That's where everything is. And so they pulled advertising, not just from Y'all Magazine, but virtually every print print publication suffered or went out of business like mine did. And it was all because of stupid Mark Zuckerberg. And I guess he's not that stupid if he came up with something like Facebook. But but I'm sorry, Facebook's not a... Not a magazine. There's a place for magazines. There's a place for this show here, the Y'all Show, and even for our Takapola storyteller. Believe it or not, Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. There's a place for him. Yeah, but look, look what they've done in the newspapers. Also, yeah. You know, when I grew up, there was two. Every every big city had two newspapers, a morning and an afternoon. And now you're lucky to find one in some big cities, and that's because of Facebook and and the media like this. That they get that, and it it also it falls back down to newsprint uh, facilities, timber industry, and all kind of stuff. It's not just uh, the freedom of this and that that they're doing away with. They're doing away with the freedom to make a living and the freedom to name well our democracy. 
the way that our democracy is set up and the way that businesses are set up, it kind of, it, 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 they're infringing on those rights also. And, uh, that really, it, it really burns me when I think about, uh, you know, I know, um, there's a newsprint around here and it's, uh, not one any closer, hardly going out west. That, and it, the newspapers are just going out constantly. And I used to cover a sports for a five day a week, uh, newspaper. Now it's a one day a week, one day a week. And that's all happened. Let's say in the last 10 years. Yeah. About the time all this start. Again, Mark Zuckerberg, he's cost you money. He's cost me money. I bet you he's cost everybody hearing me right now money. And he's also, I know, cost people a lot of their time. How much time have y'all spent wasted looking and spying on your neighbors and your other family members all because of his? How many businesses have gone out of business not because of lost income, but because their employees were sitting there looking at Facebook all day instead of working. <laughs> right. That's right. It's been a lot of, how many schools, how many children have, uh, grades have dropped. Yeah. Because that's all they do is play games on. So on stuff all we're Facebook. trying to do here on the y'all show is start a new hashtag, cancel Facebook. We got to cancel Facebook and, and all those deals and, and I'm, I'm telling the truth. I had about 15,000 followers or likes or subscribers or people yeah. following the page. Yeah. And, and they're all gone. I just, I just, I stood up for, I stood up for America, Jerry. Well, I mean, it's, somebody's got to, and I'm glad you did. <laughs> and again, I, you know, I can blame myself, but if it wasn't for grandkids and I've swore that I was getting off. When my last one graduated from high school, which is not far off. So, but, you know, I may not make it that long. But I did try to get off a while back. Yeah. I don't know if you remember. Oh, I remember, I, I remember. But but also, Jerry, I'm also bitter because, uh, if nothing else, if I was going to lose money off of Facebook, well, maybe it would help me with my social life. I still hadn't hooked up with one of my old girlfriends because of Facebook. So, there oh you goodness. have it. There you have it. My goodness. So, um, so well, I'm, I'm bitter be about that. <laughs> it could be a good time. <laughs> uh, you're probably right. We're talking no. to Jerry Short. Again, cancel Facebook is today's theme. We're not done with Jerry. Stay tuned. When we come back, we will continue to visit with the Takapola Storyteller. And again, keeping the current items in the news in front of us here today. I'm going to talk to Jerry about all of these people locked in jail that were part of the January 6th assault on the Capitol And I don't know if he saw what I saw from the weekend with a couple of congressmen from the South, but I'll talk about that and get his thoughts on it as the Y'all Show Monday edition continues with our Takapola Storyteller.
Hey, we're the Y'all Show, continuing the fun here, getting your week up and going. We're right in the middle of our little visit with the Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short. If you've got something to say to our storyteller, you're welcome to text us at 803-816-1170. That's the number, again, you can text us now or later, your choice. And we want to hear from you. And a lot of people love, Jerry, when you drop by and share your stories from Takapola U.S. of A. And right now, we're not necessarily going too far back in Takapola story time. We're kind of keeping it more of a modern story time with our Jerry Short Takapola storytelling time on the Y'all Show. And we are going to have this final segment with Jerry before we wrap up the hour with Melissa Rhodes dropping by in just a few minutes to talk about good old Southern food. But back on now, and as I referenced in the previous segment, there, since we talked about Facebook being so un-American with um, the things they're doing right now with so many people and putting putting them in Facebook jail, and just being, no better way of saying it, un-American for goodness sakes, how about perhaps our own country being un-American in my opinion and not having due process? Now, whether you agree or disagree with what people did back on January 6th, storming the Capitol, some say up to a 1,000 people entered the Capitol building, every person part of that should be penalized in some way, shape, or form, whether they go to jail for quite some time or they have to pay big fines or something like that. Not saying they should walk away at all. But there are dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of people that have been sitting in a jail cell for months now and Jerry, another theme here, un-American, whether you agree or disagree, every person put behind bars in this country should be allowed due process. And a lot of these people, Jerry, are not getting that kind of treatment. Um, no, and that's, that's habeas corpus. I thought it was uh, right to a free trial in a speedy, speedy and just uh, trial by your peers. Uh, I don't see that in Washington, D.C. today. Um, so a lot of stuff I don't see in Washington, D.C. So a lot of stuff I don't see in our government. You know, I've, uh, I've spent a little time in the military. I've stayed in reserve for 30 years and I've done some undercover stuff for an agency. It's a government agency. And, you know, there was always, um, things that were questionable to me in every endeavor that I've ever undertaken. And now it's beside being questionable. It's out in the open. I find that it's uh, these people that you referred to that uh, that went to the Capitol and they call it a uh, plan of insurrection on the on the Capitol, which uh, I don't see that because I think that uh, they were offered plenty of reserve components. Uh, I think they were offered as many as ten thousand military personnel uh, and turned it down. I think the Speaker of the House is the one that's in charge of saying, hey, do I want this thing protected here? That's her responsibility. And Miss um, um, Pelosi didn't go along with any of the uh, requests. From At that time, the president was Donald Trump when that took place. Uh, we hadn't, um, we hadn't uh, introduced our new president uh, at that time. So... Uh, they went down there for a peaceful, what I consider a very peaceful protest, which was a considerably distance from uh, 
from the Capitol itself. And there were hundreds of thousands of people there for that. And President right. Trump made an appearance, and it was that was an American display of patriotism there. That was perfectly fine. You're allowed to go to Washington, D.C., no matter what the cause, and peacefully have a, not even a protest, but just to gather and rally for whatever cause you got, and that's what they did. Then some, hundreds of these people, decided to go on to the Capitol and storm the Capitol. We know all about it. And those people, again, should be punished. But my goodness, they're not being given the basic principles of any prisoner in this country at this point. And that's why the other day, Jerry, I don't know if you saw this, one of the reasons I'm bringing this up is I haven't seen it on Facebook, not that I'm on Facebook, but did you see at the end of last week a couple of U.S. congressmen Louis Gohmert of Texas, Matt Gates of Florida, Paul Gosser of Arizona, and Marjorie Green of Georgia all went to the federal prison there in D.C. Right. where some 50 people are reportedly housed that are part of this January 6th storming the Capitol. And these congressmen all went there to just check on them, to check on their welfare, and they were right. turned, away turned away and told they would be trespassing if they didn't leave. Did you see that? And if you did, where did you see that news story? I saw a clip on uh, Newsmax, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. I've got where I just kind of do you think, don't watch. Do you think the three major networks or four major networks covered that? I doubt that uh, ABC, NBC, or CBS had a word, or okay. MSNBC. I doubt, I doubt any of those four had a word said, or CNN even. And uh, But... You know, it's, it's become that way, and uh, they have taken that media part of what we were used to kind of out of our hands. And uh, so they're not going to report the things that uh, we're looking for them to report anymore. You've got to dig elsewhere or dig it up yourself to find out actually what's happened. Yeah. And a lot of stuff just passes over over our head because if we stay on those networks, we don't. We'll never have a clue. We'll never have a clue. Well, again, these congressmen all went to this prison right around the old RFK Stadium is where it was there in the district to check on these prisoners to see if they're having the basic things you would have as a prisoner provided because there's a lot of stuff being out there about some of these people being beat up, being denied some of the basic things that you would have as a prisoner. And that's why they, they all said they had sent letters and they had not received any kind of correspondence back. So they kind of went right there with cameras rolling, and I watched it. And as Marjorie Green said, they did the old bait and switch. I don't know if you saw that video, but I did hear her say that. The, yes. the, the, the supervisor had gone outside, and so somebody where they were in the lobby of this prison came out and said, whoa, the person you need to talk to is the supervisor. And, oh, yeah, by the way, she's out there in in the plaza outside. So mm-hmm. all these people went out there to talk to the supervisor, and as soon as they all walked out the door, they ended up locking the door to the prison so they couldn't even come back into the lobby. Well, I mean, they're in jail for, you know, if you saw some of it, some of them may be guilty of doing a little bit extreme. And they should they, serve time. But, my God, should, it's been seven months in some cases. That's, that's where I'm going. I mean, you know, and you know, it's, if they've been very extreme on what the consequences are going to be to them, consequences have already gone way beyond the limit. And I mean, you know, anybody else commit a crime in any major city or anywhere else in the United States, 
or on the border, they're out the next day, yes. if not sooner. That they're and out I, the next day with the with the prosecution and defense both having plenty of time to prepare a case. These people are just being locked up. I think it's time. I think the two presidents need to say something. I think President Trump needs to step up even more. What's he got to lose? These people were, in most cases, people that were supporting him. I know it early on after all this went down, it looked really bad for him that that you had this riot or storming the Capitol. Pick your words here. But it's, yeah. it's time for President Trump to maybe himself go try to get these people out of prison. It's time for Joe Biden to do something. Well, I mean, you're not going to get anything out of him or Kamala or either one of them. Uh, they're not going to say a word. Uh, Why? In our, because they're on the other side of that uh, bench, and they're staying over there. And this is right up their alley, and this is all falling in their scheme of things, I think. I think they like this. I think they know they can keep it under control. How many How many times have you heard the name of the officer that killed the lady in the White House? None. It's never and been Capitol. reported. I mean, have you seen the, have you seen the name, period? Is any other crime ever committed that they don't post the name? No. You can't find the and this, name? And this officer could have been perfectly in their right to, to have killed that person. We'll never know, but we certainly, I mean, it's all dirty tactics here. How could you not release that? Name, yeah, they, yeah, they. I mean, it, well, you've seen the film on it. She was across the hall, standing in that window. Uh, whoever shot her was on the left side, with just their hand sticking out another door, and shot across the hall. I didn't. I don't think there was any warning. Hey, stop! Hey, if you've got any weapon or something, hands up. Nothing was ever said. Just bang. And nothing has ever been uh, revealed about that. This so-called committee that uh, that uh, Pelosi's put together, that she kicked off the Republican bunch, two or three of them. And, you know, we've got Cheney on it, I guess, if you call that a Republican. You've got maybe Romney on it, if you call that a Republican. <laughs> but the other one's got kicked off. So, uh, you know, what I'm saying is that uh, let's come forward with a little information here and let's uh, have the right people in this committee that's doing this research on what actually happened at that moment. That's kind of where they cut it off, right there at those doors, where those doors were shut. Now, a guy got in maybe Pelosi's office and sat at her desk. You know, I don't know which office he's at. He sat at her desk. He got convicted pretty good. That one guy was dressed up like uh, he just come out of the plains with his... Uh, his uh, Buffalo horns on, uh, which looked weird, but I don't think he did anything uh, dangerous. Other than trespass. He just, he just trespassed. And, you know, you and trespass, he should, be, he, should be, he should serve time for that. But Well, yeah, but, if, you know, you check your, check your law book, and what's the, what's the amount of time that you should serve? They're not even saying any of that. This guy's still in jail. This guy, I don't even know if you know if he gets a lawyer, it's going to be at his expense. Or if you burn down Minneapolis or Portland, they'll furnish you an attorney, and then they'll let you out. Mm-hmm. And then you probably won't even have to come back, or the city will pay you off, you know, like they did in uh, Minnesota. Uh, but in, in Washington, D.C., our capital, and that mayor we have in Washington, D.C., that uh, blames, how can they blame Trump? who was so far away, 
who told them to peacefully, this is a peaceful protest, you know, against what's happening. It wasn't anything that he said that incited anything. Hey, if that would incite someone, you know, to do something, the defense that you should have at the other end, hey, that's not much of a defense that can't stop that. Well, his his language there that morning heading into the afternoon of going into the Capitol, some of what he said was definitely debatable of whether he was signaling, wink, wink, go on and do what you got to do. But if that were the case, why didn't all million people that were there roughly go breaking into the Capitol? Instead, it was yeah. less than a 1,000 people went in. Yeah, that's exactly the reason that I say he had nothing really basically to do with it. He came out there. I mean, and and they, it's all falling in the hands of the other side now. Yeah. And they're letting it go ahead, and they're ignoring with the help of the media yeah. and with the help of all the other side over there and these rich people that we talked about earlier that run these Facebooks and all these accounts. It's all on, it's all on their side. They've got control. And we have very little to say about what's going on. Every now and then, we'll have five or, like you said, four or five uh, senators and representatives went down to see the jail and see what the situation was with those people that had been locked up. But you don't hear anything else about it after it's over with. It's dead and gone. So, uh, you know, why not, uh, why not go down there every day? Go down there every day. Don't let that uh, jail superintendent be just because they're on coffee break. Hey, let's go back tomorrow. Let's go back late that afternoon. Because that's what the Democrats would do. In fact, they don't give up on anything to their credit. You just saw the other day, you're continuing to see some of these civil rights figures showing up in Washington, D.C. and be arrested. Jesse Jackson, my God, I think he's in the battle with Parkinson's right now. He ended up going to D.C. and got arrested the other day. Oh, I know, I know. It's uh, to his it, credit, uh, good, good on you, Jesse, for standing up for something. But, but, well, but Republicans you know. and conservatives, Jesse, uh, I, I consider Republicans like every other college team, and I consider liberals and Democrats like Alabama, and that is, uh, they always win because <laughs> they don't give up; they just keep on winning. Well, no, they keep on fighting and they keep on fighting. Where we're we're great compromisers. Mm-hmm. But we don't compromise anymore because the other side don't compromise back with us. You know, I can go back, uh, let's just go back to the Clinton day. You know, when we had the uh, Republican leadership and uh, the Democrats was there, we'd compromise. But we would always give in a little bit, and they would give in a little bit, and the country would march on. But now when you try to compromise with our leadership that we have now in the Republican Party, when the majority leader, I've never heard this guy compromise a bit, you know, and I'm, I've never heard him win. Schumer. Well, if Schumer is going to win his compromise, I'm talking, I meant ours, the minority leader, excuse me. I've never heard him compromise one bit. Uh, okay. uh, one of our Southerner Kentucky guys. <laughs> but, uh, what, but anyway. what did Trump call him? The, the unsmiling <laughs> Mitch McConnell? <laughs> Yeah, that's what he called him. And he really, you know, he just stands up there. Of course, he had a wife that walked out on Trump also. And, uh, you know, so whose side's he actually on? Whose side are half of these Republican rhinos on? Uh, it don't appear to be ours because they have zero fight in them. Ours, that is, if you're on Jerry's side of the aisle. 
as most of the South is, by the way. You know, just go look at the numbers. I've been a little bit vocal in a, in a and you're allowed just, to be. It's a, if people don't like it. They can. We we encourage anybody to show yeah, what, what the, where they stand. Eight zero three eight one six eleven seventy. I don't call. care which side of the aisle you're on. Part of the reason we're talking very political here this segment is how could you have people in jail not even technically be charged no, with crimes? No. Have these people actually been charged? No, they're not charged. They got locked up and they carried them on to jail and they're disturbing the peace stuff. Okay. Well, disturbing the peace is not uh, five months. What are we in the seventh? Is this seventh, eighth month now? Seventh, seventh month we, now. And that was the 6th of January, the first month. Uh-huh. So after six and a half uh, months that uh, nothing has been done for these people, uh, they're all behind bars. You know, behind bars for six months is a heck of a hunk out of your life. And uh, and, your no, lifespan, and, and not to mention, walk- Jerry, the repercussions coming for every single person for the rest of their life. They've been publicly shamed. And, and Jerry, as we wrap up with you, because we do need to move on to more important things like talking about food in the next segment. Right. Uh, I do believe these people are in jail, not necessarily because of their actions on January 6th. Do you know why they're in jail, in my opinion? They're, yeah, in my opinion, they're political prisoners. I, I think they're all there, and maybe the other side would get their way if they could arrest every person that voted for Trump. That just seems so. to me. I think <laughs> they're, political, they're political prisoners. And uh, that's what they're after. And, you know, look what they're letting in on that border down there. And they're not they're not holding any of those people. You know, one day and they got COVID spread all over the United States. Yeah. It's where I am now, it's more COVID than it's been in a long time. I, I went and saw a movie. It was a good movie this past weekend. I went and saw Stillwater. It's out in theaters now. And that yeah. was one of the big lines in the movie is he's over in France. And this French woman attacks him because she said, did you vote for Trump? You know, putting him on the right there in the middle of, yeah. the, of a current movie. Like, did you vote for Trump? Did and he you said, vote? you know what he said? I said, I hope he said, you damn right. No, he said, uh, no, he didn't. And he said, I can't because I have a, a felony. <laughs> oh, well, that was a good That's answer. one way to get out of it. But, <laughs> that was a good, but anyway, yeah. that yeah. is the kind of the worldwide view that uh, you're, you're, you're either for Trump or, or you're if you're for Trump, you're the worst of the worst in a lot of people's well, eyes. In a lot of people's well, eyes. Well, gun is dividing this country more than anybody wants to admit. And, uh, I mean, it's going to continue to divide us even more. It's going to be hard to get it back together. Yeah. Because, like I mentioned earlier, and I know we're out of time, but like I mentioned, but once upon a time we compromised. And, you know, I won for the what we lost in, the, in when we could compromise sometimes. But that's the way the government is built. And that's the way we had to dang, go ahead and, and flourish as a country. But now there's no compromising. That's, I'm going to leave it at that because uh, I think uh, if uh, if they don't start compromising on one thing, the squad and the Pelosi's and that bunch, hey, it's over with. What's also over with is our conversation with Jerry Short, our Takapola storyteller. Jerry, thank you for coming with the heat today. We look forward to catching up with you again next week. All right. All right. If it's the same topic, it'll be more heat. Oh, we'll try to Thank switch you, it up. We, we, I don't know if we can handle it two weeks in a row, everybody. Our Takapola storyteller, Mr. Schultz. 
When we come back after this quick timeout, Melissa Rhodes is standing by. She's got a southern accent on delicious southern food. Mmm, y'all. That's going to wind up the second hour right after this quick timeout. Southern accent. Here's what's cooking in the South from y'all.com. I'm Melissa Rhodes. You don't have to pack your bags and head to Miami for a taste of authentic Cuban food. Elizabeth Cora runs Rum Cake Lady Cuban Cafe in the North Georgia mountain town of McKaysville. Y'all.com travel writer Ann Brawley has just ventured to way north Havana to sample empanadas, food bowls, Cuban tamales, and more. She began making her rum cakes and selling them at the local farmer's market. They became so popular that she started a bakery there in Blue Ridge. So then she eventually brought in her Cuban sandwiches and empanadas and all this other Cuban food and opened a restaurant in Blue Ridge and then recently opened this um, new cafe in McKaysville. You cannot miss it. The Rum Cake Lady features posted on y'all.com. Recipes, tips, headlines, and more at y'all.com. And thank you, Melissa, for that very delicious break here on the Y'all Show, a break to talk about Cuban food in the North Georgia mountain town of McKaysville. I'm looking that up on the map right now. Ah, I do believe I can run over there and get back before supper time. (laughs) Ooh, good food. And we love to talk about our great food across the southeast here on the show that covers the South. We have one more hour of this y'all show coming your way. Stay tuned. When hour number three kicks off, we've got some sports news to pass along, plus more on the Tennessee Vols. Richmond Flowers, Tennessee great of yesteryear, will be on as a special guest. That is just ahead, so stay with us. Keeping the hits coming, we are y'all talk with a southern accent, representing the good folks of Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, Missouri, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, and West Virginia. Those 16 states kind of circle on the map, all those great states, and that's where you find y'all. And we're here on this show to tell you all about y'all land. We are the Y'all Show. I'm General John Rawl, CSA Certified Southern American, and we have our last hour on this Monday edition that we've got laid out right in front of us, and we are so tickled that you've taken time out of your extremely busy Monday to let us share the goodness. We have the Tennessee Vols as our featured school today. We're on a tour across the southeast, and Rocky Top, Tennessee is where we'll be as we continue on the discussion of the Big Orange. In Hour 1, we told you all about Josh Heupel's 2021 season, some of the expectations. Not so good, frankly. The expectations. Maybe Coach Heupel will make a believer of all of y'all. But we talked about more of the X's and O's. Hour 1, here in this third hour of y'all, stick around. We're going to tell you about the University of Tennessee as an institution. This massive, massive higher institution of learning in the state of Tennessee. We'll tell you about some of the famous alumni of UT, Knoxville. 
And because I don't want to confuse them with all the other campuses like the UT, what is it, uh, Health Science Center, that's it, HSC in Memphis. We don't want to confuse it with the University of Tennessee at Martin, UT Martin. Great place, but not necessarily the, the mothership in Knoxville. And they even have a new school within the University of Tennessee system. As the University of Tennessee took over Martin Methodist College in Pulaski, Tennessee, and that is now the University of Tennessee Southern. It might be my favorite college now. I need a T-shirt from Southern, UT Southern. And they are our latest college added to the University of Tennessee system. But today, it's more about what happens on Rocky Top, Knoxville, the hill, if you will. And we'll tell you about some of the traditions of the Knoxville campus and just more of the fun. And if we're lucky, we'll even throw in a little Rocky Top again. Also, keeping the Tennessee trend going, we just wrapped up the Olympics this past weekend in Tokyo. Richmond Flowers was once an incredible trackster for his high school in Alabama. He ran track at the University of Tennessee. He was on the U.S. Olympic team. Richmond Flowers was a heck of a college football standout for the volunteers. And thanks to a show called The Sports Roundup, we've got a portion of an interview Richmond Flowers just did over the weekend, and we're going to play a portion of that here in this third hour. That's coming up. Plus, we'll give you a little bit of a look at what is on the Y'all Show going forward the rest of the week. That is a very, very exciting show just this one hour, our final hour here on the, the Monday Y'all Show. So all that is forthcoming, as we say in the business. If you want to get involved, it's very easy to do so. Our number is 803-816-1170. That's a number you can text or call at your own leisure. Do that, and we will be right here to answer your questions or get your comments. We begin this hour with a look at some sports news across the Southeast. The big sports story coming out of the weekend was the passage of Bobby Bowden, the longtime Florida State coach, former West Virginia coach, former Howard College coach in Birmingham, now Sanford University. Bobby Bowden passed away on early Sunday morning. He was 91 years old. Bobby Bowden, born into the Birmingham area in 1929, and started his career playing high school there in that area. Grew up just off the Howard College campus. Practiced on the Howard College practice fields as a youngster growing up. Went on to play freshman football over in Tuscaloosa before coming back to Howard College where he was a quarterback and running back for Howard College at its East Lake campus in the Birmingham area. He would ultimately return to Howard College to be an assistant coach and then got to be head coach of Howard from 1959 to 1962. Then he left Birmingham, his home city, to go to a place called Tallahassee to be the wide receiver coach for the Florida State Seminoles, which at that time was an up-and-coming program, a college football independent. After being wide receiver coach there for a few years, he ended up going to West Virginia as the offensive coordinator, and he got to stick around Morgantown, West Virginia in 1970 when he became the Mountaineers head coach. His first what we would call FBS level coaching position 
as he was the Nears coach from 1970 to 1975. Then he went back to Tallahassee to be the head coach of the Seminoles, a position he held for some 33 years as Florida State's head coach from 1976 to 2009. Bobby Bowden won two national championships, leading the Garnet and Gold in 1993 and in 1999. He helped FSU enter the Atlantic Coast Conference, and from the first year they arrived, they dominated. They won from 1992 to 2000 ACC titles, and they won three more before he retired. A tremendous college football coach, a tremendous Southerner, and a tremendous Christian man, Bobby Bowden. And we lost him after a short bout with pancreatic cancer. He had other health concerns too, but after about a month ago, the family announced that he had pancreatic cancer. He died early on Sunday morning at age 91. Bobby Bowden, who leaves a coaching record of 377 wins and 129 losses, four ties throughout his career. He was 21-10 and 10 in bowl games. The very distinguished coach, Southerner, Bobby Bowden. We remember him here on today's Y'all Show. A quick update from SEC football land. The Georgia Bulldogs special teams coordinator, Scott Cochran, has had to step aside for an undisclosed health issue and a blast from the past. Former Georgia Bulldog defensive playmaker turned college football head coach, Will Muschamp, who's back at Georgia this year in kind of a quality control role. Coach Muschamp, who has a son who is a backup quarterback on the UGA roster, Muschamp has been tasked with stepping in as an interim special teams coach as Scott Cochran is trying to recover from his health issues. Muschamp has been a senior defensive analyst since coming over from the University of South Carolina where he was fired last football season. He also, I guess, got shown the door at the Florida Gators. So a twice-fired SEC East coach now is your interim special teams coordinator at the University of Georgia. As I mentioned in Hour 1, Scott Cochran, who's stepping aside because of these health issues, for many, many years was the University of Alabama's strength and conditioning coach. He's the guy that would be all beefed up on the sideline, spinning a towel around in the air when – the Crimson Tide was on the field, and I think he'd even jump up and do chest bumps with players from time to time. But he left Alabama to go be a special teams coordinator at Georgia. What a neat little twist for him to be able to move over from one critical position within a football program, especially at a school like Alabama, and he ends up going to the eastern rival of Alabama. Yeah, I guess that would be. Georgia. I mean, who is Alabama's? Well, Tennessee would be historically, but Tennessee's not quite at the level that they used to be when they and the Tide would suit up and play on those big, massive games. That all might change, though. It's the Hypel era on Rocky Top. We're going to talk more about Tennessee in just a few minutes as the Vols are today's featured school. But again, Muschamp stepping into the special teams role between the hedges. Former Clemson quarterback and Gainesville, Georgia native Deshaun Watson 
is now back practicing with his employer, the Houston Texans, that following a five-day absence from the NFL franchise. Now, Watson reported to camp back on July 25th after requesting a trade in January. He practiced for the first five days of training camp and then was not on the field the next five days. But for the first time in a week, QB, what is he, number five, I think? QB five for the Texans back at practice. Now, all of this comes less than two months after his trade request as Deshaun Watson, as we all know, if you kept up with sports over the last few months, has been in a world of, uh, of uh, bad, bad headlines as he's got 23 lawsuits filed against him. 22 are currently active with allegations of sexual assault and inappropriate behavior. And if Watson had not shown up for training camp back when camp got going on July 25th, well, he would have been fined the nice grand total of $50,000 for each day of training camp he missed. That could be part of the reason. Maybe the Texans said, Deshaun, we're not going to dock you 50000 per day. We just need you to get the heck out of here for a couple of days. This is, this is not a good look for the franchise. I'm totally speculating. David Culley is the new coach in Houston, and he's refused to give details about Deshaun Watson's participation in practice and his excuse normally about his QB who was the starting quarterback, and right now we don't know what position he has in Houston. Cully would say nothing has changed. Now, the Texans' first preseason game is coming up in Green Bay, the site of another offseason quarterback controversy, but not quite from a legal standpoint, as Deshaun Watson's been, I guess, putting forward for Houston Texans' management over the last few years. Texans and the Packers with a preseason game on Saturday, the first for both franchises of the preseason. We just had our first preseason game period last Thursday night, Cowboys and Steelers. Did y'all see any of that? I frankly did not tune in. I had not forgot about it. I announced it here on the y'all show prior to Thursday's game, but it wasn't of that importance that we sat here and talked about it nonstop like some sports shows probably did come Friday of last week. But, yeah, it's preseason time for college, for rather NFL franchises. And perhaps before we get out of here on Friday or Thursday, a lot of these games on Thursday, we'll try to squeeze in a few of the preseason matchups because some football is better than no football How do I know? Because I just watched the other night for probably a half the, who was it? Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Hamilton Tiger Cats. That's who it was. I watched a little CFL action. And one of these days I might uh, really get bored and tune in and see not the Edmonton Eskimos playing, but they have been repurposed in the offseason, and now that longtime CFL franchise is the Edmonton Elks. Go Elks! We'll have to see about that. Do you have a favorite Canadian Football League team, eh? If you do, I want to know all about it. The Philadelphia Phillies have retired the late pitcher Roy Holiday's number 34 jersey in a tribute to the late ace. On Sunday in Philadelphia, former teammates Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard, and Raul Ibanez 
as well as the pitching coach Rich Dubee and manager Charlie Manuel among those in attendance for the ceremony at Citizens Bank Park as the Phillies played the New York Mets. Unfortunately, Holiday's widow and his two children unable to attend due to COVID-19 protocols. On November 7, 2017, Roy Holiday died in a plane crash at 40 years old. That's that crash that happened. He was a bit of a adventurer, and I think he had an experimental plane somewhere around Tampa, and it crashed, and he died at age 40. Holiday spent four of his 16 seasons with the Phillies, playing for them from 2010 to 2013. He was twice an all-star with the Phillies and won the second of his two Cy Young Awards following the 2010 season when he went 21-10 and and a 2.44 ERA. Roy Holiday, not a Southerner, but again, beloved by many, many a Southerner. His teams, he only played for two major league teams, the Jays, Played for them for over 11 years, 98 to 2009. Then in the offseason was to the Phils and played for Philadelphia from 2010 to 2013. And he, again, was lost in that tragic plane crash after he retired in 2013 and ended up being an eight-time All-Star, two-time Cy Young Award, two-time MLB wins leader in 2003 and 2010. In the Wall of Fame with the Phillies, and again, his number 34 retired with the Phillies. His number 32 jersey with the Toronto Blue Jays has also been retired. Speaking of the Phillies, again, we're more Southern here on this show. We like to promote our Southern teams, but how about the Phils? The Fighting Phils are your new leaders of the NL East after they swept the visiting New York Mets this past weekend. And... The Southern connection here is because the Mets went down in flames in three straight. The Atlanta Braves moved up, and now Atlanta is second in the NL East as we sit here today. It's Phillies with a two-game lead over the Bravos, followed by the Mets, Nationals, then Marlins. In the NL Central, Brewers still with a commanding lead there. The Giants have a four-game lead over the Dodgers in the NL West. In the AL East, A real battle there in the closing weeks of the season. Rays with a four-game edge over the Red Sox. Yankees are six and a half back. Blue Jays are seven games back in the AL East. In the Central, boy, the White Sox look really good. They just went and swept the Chicago Cubs on the north side this past weekend. And Tony La Russa's ball club enjoys a ten and a half game lead over the Cleveland Indian Guardians right now. In the AL West, the Strohs have a two-game edge over the Athletics. The Mariners are seven and a half games back of the Strohs in the AL West. And that is your quick look at what's going on sports-wise across the Southeast to start hour number three. When we come back, we're going to take you to Rocky Top and tell you all about the University of Tennessee, some famous alumni of UT, as well as the traditions that you'll find from the game day to running through the tee and that orange color and more. It's Big Orange time, and it's up next on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. The 
Y'all Show is on the road and stopping by 44 of the South's great college football towns as we get y'all ready for the start of the 2021 college football season. Tailgates, traditions, fight songs. Can you feel the excitement? Here's Y'all Show host John Rawl to fire y'all up with today's great Southern College Football Showcase. You know what there, young man? I, I think I do feel it. I, I'm feeling a little college football in the air. Are y'all feeling it too, or, or is it just me? This is the Y'all Show. We are on this 44-town travel across the South. We started off at UAB in Birmingham back in July. And we have worked our way now, I think this is a roughly our 30th stop, close to it at least. And today, our stop is in Knoxville, Tennessee. It's the University of Tennessee Volunteers, our featured school on our tour across the South. And of course, if you're talking about Tennessee, you better shut up and just let the band play. Enjoy a little rocket top to get you in the mood for college football 2021. The Tennessee Balls begin the 2021 season at home on a Thursday night as the Falcons out of the MAC Bowling Green comes in to Knoxville for a game on Thursday, September 2nd. Josh Heupel will be the Vols' brand-new coach when the 2021 season begins, and he'll represent the Power T and the University of Tennessee and its Knoxville campus. Now, Tennessee is a public land-grant research university founded in 1794. Now, this is what I don't understand. The university is actually two years older than the state of Tennessee, which is our nation's 16th state. As I might learn there if I were a student, well, that doesn't quite add up. But they recognize 1794, which originally this school was founded as Blunt College, then East Tennessee College, then East Tennessee University, finally the University of Tennessee. And Tennessee is such a power within all three portions of the state of Tennessee. We know from SEC football history, the Vols are definitely the second most successful college football program in the Southeastern Conference, trailing only Alabama. And if you ask a really good Alabama fan, I mean, not the ones that are nasty, but the good ones, if there are any good ones left, they'll tell you that Alabama's true rival, it ain't those War Eagle Plainsmen, it's the Tennessee Volunteers. And if you ask a Tennessee Vol who their real rival is, they'll likely tell you it's the Alabama Crimson Tide. That third Saturday in October is a special, special tradition. And maybe I'll tell you more about that one in a minute. In a minute. Today, under the direction of Chancellor Donde Plowman, the University of Tennessee has a lot of students. They got thirty thousand students total 
roughly 25 of the 30,000 are undergraduates there at the Knoxville campus. And Tennessee is such a big part of the entire East Tennessee region of the state, but certainly Knoxville is the university and the city of Knoxville are a partner for sure in the growth of that area. And Knoxville's really, it doesn't get as much attention as the Nashvilles or even the Memphises of the state of Tennessee, but it's a big city. It's got a lot going on. And it definitely has more than Tennessee, more than Nashville or Memphis, a huge flagship university that's a public university right there within its city limits. And so today, the University of Tennessee, our latest stop this hour, kind of walking you through traditions and a little bit of the pageantry that you'll find if you don your big orange and go to a game. Let me first tell you before the tradition portion of our feature of Tennessee, some of the famous alumni. This guy just stepped down as a U.S. senator from Tennessee just a few months ago. Lamar Alexander, one of many, many political figures who have been Tennessee alumni. I think he also has a maybe a law degree from Vanderbilt, I think, or I could have it reversed. But, yes, Lamar Alexander, the late ambassador and Senate majority leader, Howard Baker, a Tennessee Vol, of course, Albert Gore Jr. and Sr., Jr. being the vice president during the Clinton era, and his daddy, who the interstate system in the state of Tennessee is named after, both are UT alumni. So many political figures throughout time have come out of the University of Tennessee. Also, a lot of very successful people in the entertainment world. One of my favorite actors is a guy who went to Tennessee. He is the embodiment of the University of Tennessee. I think he even played football there, I think. David Keith, the actor and director, is, of course, a Tennessee Vol. He starred in an officer and a gentleman. He was in the lead role in one of my favorite movies, The Lords of Discipline. He was also on U571, and he's a Knoxville native. And sure enough, David Keith is a Tennessee Vol. Not just a native of the area, but went to school there. Another person in the entertainment world that is a Tennessee Vol, how about Henry Cho, the comedian, one of the handful of Asian American and Asian, maybe the only Asian American Southern comedians, Henry Cho is a UT alum. How about the late Dixie Carter? I didn't realize she attended the University of Tennessee. She also attended the University of Memphis. But yes, she is a UT alum. She won the Miss Volunteer Beauty Pageant at the University of Tennessee back in the 1950s the McLemoresville, Tennessee native, Dixie Carter. And i got to also, speaking of Carters, another Carter is a UT alum. She used to work at the box office at Thompson Bowling Arena. Dina Carter, the lady behind the song Strawberry Wine, is a UT alum. Also in the music world, another person that is a UT alum, worth noting, a person with a doctorate degree, an honorary doctorate degree, Dolly Parton. Yeah, you know she'd be a Tennessee Vol alumnus. How about Pam Tillis? I didn't know she went to the University of Tennessee. Mel's little girl is a Tennessee Vol. A lot of people in the 
business and economy world, our Tennessee Vols? How about the founder of Garmin, Men Cow, a Tennessee Vol? How about the CEO of Tyson Foods, Donnie Smith? You got your founder and CEO, and I think the owner of the Cleveland Browns, James Haslam Jr., Jimmy Haslam, is a Tennessee Vol. And I think maybe his brother went there, too. I should go back and check on the political figures. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. Don't want to. I know Pilot, the company that Haslam made a lot of money with, is based, I think, out of Knoxville, Tennessee. Then in the athletics field, Tennessee, of course, congratulations to the brand-new member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Peyton Manning, as he is a UT alum, proud UT alum. Even got a road there on the Knoxville campus named after him. Reggie White, of course, the great Reggie White who played so many great years for the Green Bay Packers and even the Carolina Panthers was a the minister of defense, was a UT Vol. And then you have Lindsey Nelson going way back. The baseball field there at Tennessee is named after the longtime sportscaster, Paul Feinbaum is a Tennessee Vol. You also have a great player who went on to be coach of Tennessee at one point, the runner-up of the 1956 Heisman Trophy, Johnny Majors, a Tennessee Vol. And Richmond Flowers is someone we're going to tell you more about in the next segment as Richmond was recently on our sister program that airs on WNWSFM, the Sports Roundup. Richmond on Saturday was a guest on that show. And Richmond Flowers, who played football at UT and was drafted in the second round of the 69 draft by the Dallas Cowboys. A guy who has quite a story to tell. I'm going to play a portion of that as we just wrapped up the Olympics in Tokyo. Richmond Flowers participated in track and field. And he was a leading contender to win the gold medal at the 68 Summer Olympics before he got an injury just prior to the Olympic trials. But was on the cover, I think, of Sports Illustrated, not as a football player. I think he was on there for his track prowess. But we'll have a conversation with Richmond Flowers coming up in the next segment as we continue on with our discussion of Tennessee today. Now about the traditions at Tennessee. you got the Power T, the official logo of UT. It first came to be in 1964 when Doug Dickey replaced the familiar numbers on the side of the volunteer's helmet with a block T for the first time. It got a makeover in 77 with a bolder, more powerful look under first-year head coach and legendary Tennessee tailback, the aforementioned Johnny Majors. And Tennessee and that power T synonymous Now, how about the volunteer nickname? That name actually traces back to when Tennessee was the volunteer state for the War of 1812, when General Andrew Jackson led more than 1,500 soldiers from Tennessee to fight for the United States at the Battle of New Orleans. That name has been used time and time again for Tennesseans going off to war for their home state. How about the distinctive colors that UT has, the orange and white as those colors were selected way back in 1891 for the university's first football team. The colors were those of the common American daisy, 
a flower that grew prominently on the hill, the area of campus that surrounds Ayers Hall, and it overlooks Neyland Stadium. Now, Tennessee football players did not wear orange jerseys until the season opening game in 1922. And that's when they christened their jerseys against Emory and Henry in that season opening game, a 50 to nothing win over the Wasp of Emory and Henry. Tennessee, also great tradition, is Smokey, the beloved canine mascot, the coon dog, if you will, that Tennessee uses. And on game days, the coon hound, which is a native breed to Tennessee, Smokey comes out, makes a lot of people happy. The blue tick coon hound, and right now, it is definitely part of the Tennessee football tradition. The players run through the tee before the game. That's a big, big part of Tennessee football. The checkerboard end zones at Needland Stadium, a beautiful sight if you're a Tennessee fan on game day. How about the Vol Navy? That's a tradition since the Needland Stadium facility is right on the Tennessee River. A lot of people go to Tennessee games via boat, and they tie up and they tailgate and have a good time, and they do it right there at the Vol Navy location outside of Neyland Stadium. Then you have General Neyland's Maxims, which the tradition there, a player sees that on his way out to the field. Those Maxims include the team that makes the fewest mistakes will win, play for and make the breaks when one comes your way, score. General Neyland, again, who has that West Point background, definitely used his military regimen to make a winning program at the University of Tennessee. The pride of the Southland Marching Band is the Tennessee Vols Band. It's a massive, massive band, and they certainly make game days inside Neyland Stadium extra special for those clad in big orange. And lastly, you can't be a Tennessee volunteer fan and not love the song Rocky Top. It's not the official fight song, by the way. Down the Field, I think, is the official fight song. But the song written by Felice and Boudelo Bryant, they wrote it at the Gatlinburg Inn in 1967. It got to be a big, big hit for artists like Lynn Anderson and a group that I'm going to play their version in a very <laughs> upbeat version in a second as we go to break. Rocky Top's been played since 1972 at UT football games. Rocky Top was named an official song of the state of Tennessee back in 1982. The other one is, I think, the Tennessee Waltz. And yet, Down the Field is the official fight song, played as the team runs through the tee and after scoring plays. But then, it's not long after you hear Down the Field that you're going to also hear Rocky Top. So, today, on Y'all, we spent a lot of time telling you all about the Big Orange of Tennessee and the traditions, the many great traditions of this SEC East member. And we hope we've done Tennessee some good justice here, as despite their record being quite dismal over the last couple of decades, they still have one of the great traditions and one of the great winning traditions within the Southeastern Conference. And it's been a real treat here on the Y'all Show to tell you about Tennessee, our latest stop on the 44-city tour that we have going on across the southeast the osborne brothers were that other group that made rocky top famous in 1996 this version of rocky top came out 
and we're going to let this play to break for you. Coming up on the Tuesday Y'all Show, we'll take you to Carl Gable's as the Miami Hurricanes will be our stop on the Tuesday Y'all Show. We'll go back to Tennessee on Wednesday. The Vanderbilt Commodores will be our Wednesday stop on our 44-city escapade across the southeast. When the Y'all Show continues, more Tennessee. We're going to go back to that interview heard earlier this weekend as an interview had that was held on 101.5 WNWS on the Sports Roundup Show. Richmond Flowers was a guest. We're going to play a portion of that when the Y'all Show continues right here on Good Old Rocky Top. Continuing on the discussion of Tennessee for one little bitty tiny segment. This is the Y'all Show with John Rawl. And uh, about 12 years ago, I had the pleasure of working for a time with this next guy that we're going to be hearing from, Richmond Flowers. He was a safety in the NFL. He also played a little running back and receiver for the Tennessee Vols of the 1960s. Richmond Flowers grew up in Montgomery, Alabama. Played at Sydney Lanier High School there, and he was the son of a very famous person of that era, an anti-segregationist, Richmond Flowers Jr., who actually was Alabama's attorney general back in that tumultuous 1960s. So could you imagine being Richmond Flowers Sr.'s son in Alabama in 1964 with George Wallace as governor? Again, because Richmond Flowers Sr. was an anti-segregationist. Well, that's what Richmond Flowers Jr. grew up with there. And he was a good athlete. He ran track. He played football. He ultimately went to Tennessee to play his college football. That really ticked off a lot of people who were fans of Alabama. It was almost a sure thing that a great athlete would never turn down Bear Bryant to go to a place called Tennessee, especially if they were a homegrown like Richmond Flowers was. That was the decision he made. He went to Tennessee not only to play football, but to run track. Richmond Flowers was one heck of a runner. He excelled at the high hurdles. He got a scholarship offer from more than 100 colleges. Again, Alabama desperately wanted him, but he ended up going to Tennessee. And at Tennessee, Flowers was a three-time NCAA All-American at track and, again, was a heck of a football player. He was a leading contender for the 1968 Summer Olympics. I think those were the one in Mexico City. And he pulled a hamstring and had to kind of pull out. But he ended up being 
just this incredible speedster that also played a little football. He was a halfback. He carried in one game 20 times for 100 yards for a 24-7 win over a very good Georgia Tech football team back in his playing days. He also scored the long touchdown in Tennessee's 10-9 victory. I don't know the season, but it was sometime in the late 60s. Great athlete. So much so, he was selected by the Cowboys in the second round of the 1969 NFL Draft, and he ended up beating out undrafted rookie Cliff Harris for the free safety position and played, as I said, defense for the boys in the NFL, played there in Dallas for a couple years, then went on to a history of playing with the Giants and then got out of the NFL and played for some non-NFL teams but an incredible athlete, Richmond Flowers, and a legend. He actually went back to Alabama, his native state, after his athletic career was over, and he got a law degree from the University of Alabama. And I got to know him because his son, Bill Flowers, was a great wide receiver during the Eli Manning years at Ole Miss. And I got to be friends with Bill. Bill and I did a radio show for a number of years. And Richmond actually did a show that I produced – that was all about the Tennessee Vols. So I got to know him for a brief time. And lo and behold, this past weekend, Richmond Flowers' voice was back on the radio as he was a guest on the Saturday Sports Roundup. That airs on WNWS-FM, and that's hosted by Joe Holloway, Jimmy Butler, and Bill Hamilton. And those three with a chance to talk to a Tennessee legend. And here on the Y'all Show, I'm going to play a portion of that interview where Flowers talks a little bit about his Olympic effort as he was expected to do great things at the Mexico City Olympics, but also his football prowess there in Knoxville for the Vols. Again, Richmond Flowers, a Tennessee Vol legend, right here courtesy of the Saturday Sports Roundup. Gone in the offseason, and I had put in the time and effort and study and work and repetition uh, and, and learned, uh, you know, Done football right, and and gained the weight. I, 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 Bobby Scott was the quarterback the next year. Yeah, and and they won the Southeastern Conference, and and so I had a quarterback for sure that could get the ball to me, and I could have gone back to you know wide receiver, which is where I you know should have been, but I made a great decoy back there. They could send me out uh, on a fly route or whatever, and and. Two linebackers would go with me every time, and so it just made great holes for for Pickens to you know to be able to get into, and, and he did really well. And uh, as as a result of that, but you know, I often you know wonder had I done that, and had I had a really good, we won the Southeastern Conference, maybe we could have won the national champion. I might have could have helped with that. Maybe who knows. But the point is, is that I might have even had a shot at the Heisman Trophy yeah. with all the publicity that I had coming behind me. Because there was no way at 168 pounds when they justified giving me a that uh, <laughs> I was an All American as a junior and as a wide receiver, but I was no All American running back. I was just a great decoy that could that could you know that, that you could not ignore because if you let me get out on the outside and get the ball in my hands and there's only, there's only one big fat linebacker I, I could beat him 
Again, that was Richmond Flowers, and that was from an interview this past weekend from our sister show, WNWS Has. It is called the Saturday Sports Roundup with Joe Holloway, Jimmy Butler, and Bill Hamilton, and those three with that wonderful opportunity to talk to Richmond Flowers, a Southern American from Dothan, Alabama originally, but I think he still lives in the Birmingham area. Last time he and I spoke on the telephone, that's where he was living. And again, he's had two sons who went on to play college football. One went to Duke and was a good wide receiver, I believe, there at Duke. And then the other, Bill Flowers, number 84 Bill Flowers. I still remember some of the great catches. He was Eli Manning's must-go-to receiver when he was quarterback in the Rebels back in the 2003 season. And then the year after Eli left, I'll never forget being in attendance when Flowers grabbed a pass in that back left corner at Williams-Brice Stadium and the day that the Rebels rolled into Columbia with three quarterbacks playing in rotation. It was a quarterback by committee by David Cutcliffe in his final season at Ole Miss. And Bill Flowers caught a pass from Ethan Flat for a touchdown in the last minute, and it was a huge upset over a top 25 South Carolina Gamecock team coached by the great Lou Holtz. And Richmond Flowers' boy, Bill, was the guy that caught that pass with his like glue hands out there on the playing surface at Williams-Brice Stadium. I'm no John Ward. I'm no Lindsey Nelson, but I do my best here on y'all to make a little fun and talk a little Southern. Hope you don't mind. We're going to wrap this thing up after the break. Stay tuned. We've got a quick look to tell you what is up on the Y'all Show going forward the rest of this week. You're going to want to know what's up, and I'll tell you. So stay tuned to the You All Show. Missouri girl right there, Sarah Evans, and today is, and I got somebody from Missouri right here in front of me. Hey, Lindsay, do you know whose birthday it is today? No, it's their 200th birthday today. Do you know who's celebrating their 200th birthday? Missouri! And she's from there, and she didn't know that. I don't know why she's even working today. She should have taken the day off. 
Yes, it is Missouri's 200th birthday. Happy Bicentennial Show Me State. And if you missed some of the great history of our border state of the South, you can go back to our podcast edition of the Y'all Show and listen in to the history of Missouri, how it became a, a state, because it was a slave state admitted in 1821 to this great United States. Some of the great fun we have here on Y'all, mixing in a little music like Sarah Evans with history and just, just doing our part to educate you. Here is a quick opportunity for me to tell you what's coming up this week on the Y'all Show. On Tuesday, we'll tell you all about the Miami Hurricanes. Plus, we'll have a little barbecue talk coming your way. Wednesday, we've got some book talk to pass along. The Vanderbilt Commodores are our featured school on the Wednesday Y'all Show. Plus, an update on Southern business coming your way. On the Thursday Y'all Show, our featured college report is the Maryland Terrapins. Also, entertainment news from Hollywood and Nashville on the Thursday Y'all Show. Fishing forecast, Craig Faulkner comes your way on Friday. And our featured school, as we wrap up on Friday, the Mississippi Land Sharks from Oxford, Mississippi. That is your Y'all Show lineup for the rest of the week. Thank y'all for tuning in. This show that's all about the South, we'll do it again on Tuesday. And again, Miss Missouri, Sarah Evans, going to get us out of here on today, the 200th birthday of the Show Me State. Well, I'm not, and I'm all right, cause I'm almost